Thank you, worship team. Would you pray with me? Father, we just uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the promise that there's no power of hell, no schemes of man that could ever pluck us from your hand. We thank you that, uh, that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, God, that, that we are eternally secure in your loving arms. Father, we thank you that you desire a relationship with us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to reconcile us to yourself, to, to call us friends. And, uh, Lord, I just so desire, I long, Father, to know more of you. I long to know the height and depth, breadth and width of your love for me in a more personal way, day by day. God, I just pray that you would be with us here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your word and that you would affect change in our lives. Father, I pray that we would leave here today more in love with you, more surrendered, more committed to follow hard after you. And Lord, I thank you for the message that you've prepared. God, I'm certain that there's a lot of my stuff in it. And Lord, I just pray that you'd purge my stuff from it. God, I pray that I would stand behind your word this morning. I pray, Father, that I'd add no offense to your word. I pray that it'd be your word that convicts through the power of the Holy Spirit, that encourages, that reminds us of the joy and the hope that we have in this Amazing journey. We love you and we commit this service to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So February we have a focus on, on prayer and community groups. And there is a, uh, there's a flyer in your bulletin that um, outlines the seven community groups, the times that they're meeting, if there's child care available and contact information. And again, if you're not in a community group, which is our small groups here at Windsor Community Church, February is the time to check it out. It's going to be a neat time as we just seek the Lord together in prayer and we learn more of God's heart for prayer. Well, we're doing something different here at Windsor Community Church. If you are new with us, and I see a couple of new faces, we typically teach through a book of the Bible. We teach, we're teaching through the book of Genesis. Uh, before Christmas, we left off in chapter 20, and we'll be starting up again next week in uh, chapter 21, I believe. Is that right, Pastor Dino? Looking forward to that. And we've taken a four-week pause, and we're doing a series called The Word and Power Church. Uh, the first Sunday in this series, we looked at the first church. We looked at the first church in Acts. And then the second Sunday, we looked at the, the local church, what we're called to as a church here in Windsor, Colorado. And then last Sunday, we took a look at prayer. Why prayer? Our declaration of dependence. And today we're going to take a look at how to pray. We're going to look at scriptures on how to pray. And I want to just review quickly some of the notes from last week. And some of you have requested the notes. Um, if you want them, just um, email me and I can, I can send them to you. So why pray? Last week, ten reasons. I was made fun of because a, a good sermon is supposed to have one or two points. And we had ten points. So you can do with that what you please. One is that the reason we're to pray is it expresses humble dependence upon our Lord. Nothing like prayer to express dependence upon God. A quote that uh, Matt Chandler gave us, uh, Matt Chandler is a young man that pastors a church in Texas who has brain cancer. And this was his quote. He says, when the illusion of control disappears, we become men and women of prayer. When the illusion of control disappears, we become men and women of prayer. And I do believe that's true. 
I think times in my life when I am operating my own strength and I'm not praying is because I feel like I'm pretty well in control. Or at least I have the illusion of control, right? Second point from last week is that we pray for a communion or a relationship with the Lord. That God calls us friend and that he came to reconcile us to himself. And reconciliation is at the heart of relationship. Three is we're called to, to pray. You guys filled out those blue cards last week with all kinds of thoughts on prayer and questions you had on prayer. And there was only one rebuke in that whole bunch, which is amazing. Because oftentimes, I'm more deserving of one rebuke. And the rebuke was a good one, honestly. And it was, I think I said that I tried to pull this point out of my notes. And the point was that we're called to pray. That we're supposed to pray because of obedience. And the the rebuke was, you know what? Sometimes obedience is a good thing. And this person was right. And that that sometimes when we don't feel like praying, we just got to, we've got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and pray. And the Lord will meet us there through our obedience. Fourth reason to pray is prayer aligns us with God's purposes. We looked at Psalm 37 that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give the desires of your heart. That it's not about what we want so much as aligning ourselves with what it is that He wants. Does that make sense? The fifth reason was for wisdom and direction. It says in James that if we lack wisdom, to what? To ask, and He will give it. Um, Sixth was deliverance from trouble. That he wants to deliver us from trouble. He says in this lifetime that it's guaranteed that there will be trouble. And he wants to deliver us from it. Next is relief from fear and worry. He cares about our worries. He cares about our fears. He cares about our anxieties. Next is free from the guilt of sin. We pray to free us from the guilt of sin. If you know Jesus, he has already died for the guilt of your sin. But if you're anything like me, that when you sin, oftentimes you carry a little bit of guilt. And there's nothing, and that is sin, by the way, but there's nothing like going to the foot of the cross and being reminded of the freedom that we have in Jesus, that we don't have to carry that that guilt around. Next is that it undergirds revival. There's never been a revival in human history that has not been undergirded by prayer. We see it in Acts. We see it in the First and Second Awakening. We see it in the uh, Zusa revival. We saw it in the 70s. There's never been a revival that has not been, foundation has not been prayer. And the last reason that we pray is that it results in answers. God answers our prayers. Isn't that awesome? He, he meets us and he answers us. Well, today we're going to talk about how to pray. And I got a couple of real life examples. Imagine that, the last couple of days as I'm reading God's Word. One of them was last night. Some of you know that I kind of have a ritual of when I am preparing for a message, my tradition or my ritual is to be as last minute as possible. (laughs) My wife hates that. Actually, I'm preparing for weeks, but for some reason, I think if I had to deliver the message on Friday, I'd be doing it Friday morning. If I had to deliver it on Sunday, like I do, it's, it's Saturday night. So I am at my place at McDonald's in Windsor. McDonald's in the back area, and I'm facing the east in my little booth. It's got Wi-Fi. I've got a plug-in. I've got my senior coffee. I am good. And oftentimes there's a, there's a circular table that's right across from me, and a lot of young people or old people, nothing in between, sit at this table. Saturday mornings, it's old people. Friday or Saturday nights, it's young people. And I had a wave of young people that came in, and there was this group of young people that came in. I think they were post-high school, but they were, they were dressed in black, and they, you know, they had the black nails and all that stuff, and it was no big deal. I mean, I, I, I can actually hang with those kind of people. I love it. So I had, my, oh, I had my earplugs in, too. I'm listening to Pandora Classical. That's what I do, Pandora Classical. Every once in a while I go to ZZ Top and then back to, to Pandora. 
it's, it's mostly classical. But this group of young men and women started really getting wild, really wild. They were dropping the F-bomb uh, continually. They started talking about intercourse. I mean, I, through my music, I had it on high. It's a Mac. You hit the button, it goes to high. At one time, two of the boys went across the table and, and kissed each other. I'm going, wow, Lord. Okay, this is a little bit offensive to me. This is offensive to me. What, what do you want me to do? There's nobody else in there. I'm the only one being offended. And I made the decision to stay and just stare at them. No, to stay and try to look at my computer, not over the top of the computer. And, and the Lord was giving me strength, and I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then I was, I was kind of going in between praying and getting mad and being disturbed, being offended. And then the last straw was, is one of the young men had some kind of a cardboard something or other that was male genitalia. And he strapped it on. And he started walking up towards the front right by me. And I couldn't take it anymore. And because he was crossing the line where he was going to the counter where there was other people. And I just took my earphones off and I said, take it off. I mean, I was, I was shaking. Take it off. And he just kept walking. And I said, take it off. And then he, he shows me that it's off. And I was going, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, these guys and gals, you died for them. They, they are no less deserving of a Savior than I am. They are no more sinners than I am. And they shut up. They all stopped. It's like, who's this codger drinking a senior coffee yelling at me? And so I got up, and I went back to the table, and I sat there, and I said, can I ask you a question? Why are you... No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you guys think of Christians? And uh, one guy said, one of the guys that uh, kissed the other one said that, uh, he says, yeah, I used to be a youth pastor. And he told me the church in the town, I never heard of the church, I barely heard of the town. It's in northern Colorado. And he talked a lot, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got spirituality, but I don't know if I believe in the way I used to believe. And I said, do you believe that Christians are hypocrites? And, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're all kind of looking at the floor. They're still not making eye contact with me. And I really wanted to engage them. But then I just saw, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. And they, they were kind of bailing as I was talking to them one by one. There's probably eight of them around the table. Here's the point. That was too long a story. Forgive me. Here's the point. Is that so often... I don't know how to pray. You know? Because there's something offensive. There's something offensive there. And, and there's so many analogies. I mean, we could take the analogy of our, of, our, uh, of our administration in Washington right now. Some things just make you angry, don't they? They just make you angry. But you know what? If you remember last week, we talked about a prayer-jerk reaction, not a knee-jerk reaction. My desire is to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. To walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And to have a prayer-jerk reaction most of the time, rather than a knee-jerk reaction. So that's my little story. And then this morning, most of the time my notes, they kind of look like this until I clean them up. And I, I cleaned them up, and I went to print them this morning, and the computer died. So, oh, that was right after Nancy wasn't responding to me the way that I thought she should respond to me. 
(laughs) So the Lord finally got my attention when the computer died. And I was actually kind of singing. This is fun. And I came to church with no notes, no slides, and Pastor Dean bailed me out. Thank you. But but I was okay because the Lord had, had, had met me to a point of knowing that I'm not in control. I had the illusion of control. Today, we're going to take a look at how to pray. And it's going to be very similar to last week, that if you're note-takers, sharpen your pen, because we, we're going to bounce all over through the Scriptures. And I've got to tell you, the reason that we don't teach this way is because it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. When you pick a topic, and you start scouring the 66 books of the Bible to find Scriptures that fit your paradigm, And then the Lord slaps you and goes, it's not about your paradigm. It's about you trying to understand all I have for you, Dan, in prayer. So it's dangerous. But by God's grace, I feel like I've been faithful to the Scriptures. There's a lot here. Bear with me. And uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us. Let's pray again. God, we bless your name. Lord, I just thank you for uh, uh, that divine encounter last night. I thank you for the reminder that I am just as deserving of hell as any person that I see out there that may not look like me, that may not have the same values as I do. So, Lord, would you give me a compassion for people, for all walks of life? And thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power to say no to sin. Thank you that you are ever-present help in times of trouble. Thank you that you are speaking to us nonstop, even when we're not listening. Thank you for your patience with us. God, I pray that you'd superintend over this uh, time this morning and that you would have your way with us. Amen. Let me give you an example of a, of a gardener. I'm not really a gardener. In fact, I'm not a gardener at all. My wife is a gardener, and I know some of you ladies and guys are gardeners. And you can walk out into the garden in the spring, and after the snow has melted, you can cast some seed on the ground, and some of those seeds are going to take a hold, aren't they? Some of them are going to take hold. We live in a climate where it rains every once in a while, where there's sun, and it's going to take hold. But it's probably not the best way to garden. There's some preparation of the soil. I think the seeds have got to go down so far or something like that. The, the, the fruit's got to be picked or the veggies have got to be picked at a certain time. There's, a, there's actually a method. There's a, there's a way to garden and there's a way to garden that is best or most effective. And the same with prayer. You know, Nancy reminded me this morning that, that we're to come to the Lord as children. That come innocent and just speak to Him. But there are some ways where we can prepare our hearts. Ways where we can be more effective in prayer, I believe. And we're going to walk through a couple of those first this morning. The first element of effective prayer is humility. Is humility in prayer. You remember in Genesis 18 where we saw that Abraham had just begged the Lord not to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? And he said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, would you save them? If there's 45, if there's 40, etc., all the way down to 10. And here's what Abraham said in 1827. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust, 
and ashes. Abraham knew in a real sense that he was, he was talking to the creator of the universe, the one that wanted a relationship with him, but he really was not even worthy to be there. That Abraham knew that he was a grasshopper before the Lord. And I think that's the way the Lord wants us to approach him is in humility. The second element is almost the other side of that coin is to approach him in boldness. Not in arrogance, but boldness. It says in Hebrews 4, to come before the throne of grace with confidence or with boldness. And we can come to the throne of grace with confidence, with head up, knowing that whatever it is that we did or whatever it is that we're asking, that he's forgiven us and he wants to hear from us. You see that the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that the high priest had to go behind to have a relationship with the Father. And when Christ Jesus died, that veil was rendered, and now we can come boldly before the throne of grace. So humility and boldness are two of the first two elements in effective prayer. The next is struggling in prayer. That prayer is work. Effective prayer is work. Gardening, I, mean, I don't think it's that much work. I mean, you, you just throw the seeds out there. Right? No? Okay. For you farmer types, you know that it's a lot of work. Get this in Colossians 4.12. After Jesus, one of the first people I want to meet in heaven is Epaphras. He's mentioned in the first part of Colossians uh, chapter 1, and he's mentioned again in chapter 4 of Colossians. Epaphras. I think that's how you say it. And it says in uh, 4.12, Colossians, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Don't you want other people to be struggling in their prayers for you? This body does that. I think Joanne experienced a little bit of that this week. You all struggling in your prayers for her. I want to be one that's characterized of struggling in my prayer. Romans 15.30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together. To strive together with me, Paul, in your prayers to God on my behalf. I love this quote. It says, speak for the Lord as if everything depended on your exertions. Speak to the Lord as if everything depended on your exertions. Yet trust not in the least of your exertions, but in the Lord, who alone can cause your efforts to be made effectual. That's George Mueller. And don't, hear, don't miss this. Is I'm not, we don't work for our salvation. It is We have nothing to do with it. That Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay. But we're to work in our prayer. We're to work in our prayer. And I think we're going to talk about praying without ceasing. But I think sometimes that we use the excuse that we pray without ceasing because we're not willing to really be disciplined and work at our prayer at a disciplined period of time. Next element is God's word in prayer. And we're not going to be able to give this as much attention as it deserves either. Uh, I'm going to start with another quote from George Mueller. And he says, what is the food of inner man? If you know George Mueller's reputation, he's one of the greatest humans, uh, prayer warriors that's ever lived. This man didn't take a salary from age 26 through 92. He, he, he said, I'm not taking any more money from, from, I'm not asking for any more money from anybody. He clothed, housed, and fed tens of thousands of orphans. And he never asked for a dime. Here's what he says, this man of faith. What is the food of the inner man? I'm, ex- I'm expecting, it's praying 10 hours a day. He says, not prayer, but the word of God. Not simply the reading of the word of God so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe. But considering what we read, 
pondering over it and applying it to our hearts. And one of the practices that my bride has that she brought to my attention these last couple of days is praying scripture for other people. An example would be Ephesians 6.10 that says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I might be praying for Kevin one morning. I say, Lord, would you help Kevin to be strong in you and really realize the strength of your might today? May his strength be perfected in your weakness today. But taking scripture and actually praying it for each other and praying it for ourselves. Another example might be Philippians 4.6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplications make your requests be known to God. Then he'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But to pray that for each other. When we know that somebody's anxious because of what's going on in their life, Lord, would you take their anxiety from them? Would you give them the strength to cast their anxieties upon you? I know the Cuppingers have a tradition that John shared with me the other day, or at least uh, something they've been talking about, and that is taking those anxieties and handing them back to the Lord, like hot potato. We're not to hang on to our anxieties. And to encourage one another in prayer, through prayer, to cast those anxieties. The next essential is a time for prayer. A time for prayer. When do we pray? Jesus prayed early. Jesus prayed early and he prayed often. Jesus spent the first part of his day before the Father. And you know what Jesus did? When, and we're going to see this in a second. When it was busy, he prayed more. He got away from people and he prayed. We can pray anytime. We can pray anywhere. Cornelius prayed continually. Peter went on the roof and prayed. Paul and Silas prayed in the middle of the night in jail. Some of you might need to remember that. That was a bad joke. (laughs) Thank you for laughing at the uh, badness. Place of prayer. Where do we pray? Jesus prayed often alone, and he prayed in private. Jesus went away. He says in Matthew 6 that there's a prayer closet. We're to pray in secret. There's a... uh, I started... I don't know, a number of years ago, getting away once a year and going and praying somewhere. And my desire is to do that monthly, but I haven't been doing that. But I've gone to mountain retreats. I went to a, I don't know what it was, a Catholic priest thing in Sedalia, Colorado, where they feed you and they give you a bed and you can't talk. I mean, everybody just kind of walks around just eating and talking, or not talking. And, but it was really a neat time. And last year I went to the World Prayer Center. If you've not gone to the World Prayer Center in Colorado Springs, I don't want to get too weird about that. But i got to tell you, I don't know what an anointed place feels like, but that's an anointed place. I've been there several times, but one for a whole day when I felt like I was totally at the end of my rope trying to understand why the Lord was allowing certain trials in our lives. And I went there and the Lord met me and, and ministered to me in a real way. So sometimes we just need to get out of our environment. To meet the Lord. We know He's with us. He's, he's with us all the time. But sometimes we need to get away. Nancy has this, she's got prayer closets all over the house. She's got an alabaster vase that she keeps in front of her that reminds her that she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So whatever it takes, whatever it takes to put yourself in an intimate communication with the Lord. Corporate prayer. We can also pray here together. There's something about agreeing as believers when two or more together. It says in Matthew 18, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Oftentimes when we see churches coming together to pray, when we see groups of people, it's because they're desperate. It's because they want to make a collective decision. 
They're thankful together for what the Lord's done. And I want to just take this second just to encourage you. You know, the least attended meeting in the church, not just here, but around the world, is the prayer meeting. It's the least attended meeting. And I don't, I don't say that to guilt you at all, because, I mean, there's often times where I'm going, man, you know, I, I prayed this morning. I was with these folks this morning. But I just want to encourage you. I've heard a number of leaders say this. And I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent. My wife said it on the, on the, in the car today. I've heard a friend say it this week. We're at a place on the timeline of this church where the Lord has brought each of you here for this season. And He wants to do something off the charts with this little body of believers. I believe that He wants to do something special. And I don't want to presume upon the Lord. But He's got us in a place where I feel like He wants our complete dependence, not only individually as families, as a body. And the only way that we're going to see revival, and you know what revival is, by the way? It is pumping or breathing air into a corpse. That's what, that's what it is. And we're not a corpse. So not, no, no emails. We're, we're alive. But we're living in a culture that is dead. We're living in a culture where the gospel has not had any effect like it's having in Iran or India or China. And you know what's going on in Iran and India and China? Is that there are prayer movements, and there's been prayer movements for decades where people are praying for revival. And so I just implore you, and I'm just, and I'm praying that, that the Lord would continue to grow us into a body that prays. So those are the elements. Before we can look at how to pray, these are the essential elements of effective prayer. A humble heart, bold in prayer, struggling in prayer, the word in prayer, the time to pray, and the place to pray. Now we're going to take a look at the order of prayer. Now, I'm hesitant. I was hesitant to do this. But honestly, there's not a better way to talk about how to pray than to use this acronym. There's not a better way to do it. And I want to tell you, there's no formula. There's no formula for prayer. But we're going to take, first of all, we're going to take a look at the first reason. These are reasons how to pray. We look at the first reason, or the, the first way to pray, and it's adoration. This is first and foremost. And I don't know about you, but if I am... If I'm not remembering who God is and what He's done for me, how great He is, what His character is, and what He's done for me, it's really easy for me to come with a whole long list of I wants. The first thing that He wants from me is worship and adoration. He wants me to cherish Him, exalt His name. And if, if for me to get in that mindset, and there's mornings I wake up, honestly, where I'm not in that mindset. I was talking to Pastor Christie the other day, and he's got a deal where he kind of, he says he's, he, he pulls up on his right arm or his left arm, I'm not sure which, and he just kind of recites and remembers who God is so he can start his day. And for me, what I've got to do is I've got to read Scripture that remind me of who God is and what He's done. I might read Genesis. I might read Psalms. I might read Romans, particularly chapters 2 through 8. I might read uh, Colossians, Ephesians. Read Scripture that remind me of who He is and what He's done. How about reading prayers of the great saints of the Bible? Reading Daniel 9. Daniel's crying out to the Lord. Read in, I think it's First Chronicles or First or Second Samuel, uh, Hannah's prayer, where she's just crying out to the Lord for, for Him to rescue her. Read Paul's prayers. Paul has 37 prayers. But read the way that these great saints prayed. Nehemiah. Listen to worship music. Read a hymn. Sing. When our discipline of prayer begins with adoration, 
the Holy Spirit has opportunity to reveal sin in our life that needs to be confessed. And that's the second aspect of how to pray. And that's confession. And you know what? I, I, I've done a lot of reading the last few weeks, and somebody tried to move the C before A and called it cats instead of acts. Honestly, that works sometimes. There are some times where, where the Lord has convicted me of sin. He's convicted me of sin. I can't worship Him without confessing. And, and it's not, He's already forgiven me. Don't get me wrong there. He's already forgiven me. But there's something about agreeing with the Holy Spirit's conviction that I've sinned. Isaiah 59 is not a popular verse. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. What Isaiah is saying here, and I'll finish the verse in a minute, is that the Lord is always strong to save. His arm is always long enough. His ear is always in tune enough where he, hear, he can hear everything. He can save anybody. But here's what he says. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Hear me on this. Write this scripture down, Isaiah 59. Our relationship with the Father, our standing with the Father, is unseparable. If you are the Lord's, there is nothing, not the power of hell, not the schemes of man, that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And He sees us as innocent. He sees us as clean. But there's a reality that when we are walking in rebellion and disobedience, that He does not hear our prayers. And i got to tell you, I don't fully understand that. Because there's times when I've seen the psalmist, I've seen David crying out. But what he's usually crying out for is, Lord, he, what he says is, he says in Psalm 139, show me any wicked way. There's, there's times where I know that there's issues in my heart. You know, you can just feel it sometimes, the uglies I call it. But I'm not sure what it is. We just got to ask God, God, show me. Show me if there's a wicked way in me. And guess what? He'll answer that. He will show you. Take that for consideration. You know, it's easy to confess the sins that we as a people have. Or the sins that we as Americans have. And I've heard those kind of prayers. i prayed those kind of prayers. Lord, forgive us as a wicked nation. Forgive us as, as the people of Colorado who have, who have voted in um, same-sex marriage. Can I tell you that that's not the prayer he answers? The prayer that he answers is a repentant heart. He wants to know how it is I have sinned against him. I love David's prayer in Psalm 51. I don't know how many times you guys have heard me talk about Psalm 51 because it's one of my favorite psalms because I can so relate with it. I can so relate with it. Just that deep conviction of sin that doesn't stop with guilt or woe is me but ends up at the foot of the cross worshiping the Lord. And David's prayer was a prayer of contrition. And David recognized that, yes, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, he sinned against the whole nation of Israel, but he recognized that his sin was against God and only God. 
And I think that that is a place where oftentimes it's easy for me to know when I've sinned against Nancy or when I've blown it against one of you, but oftentimes it's not as tangible where I don't realize that I've sinned against the Lord. Another thing I appreciate about David in his confession, saying that he sinned against only you, Lord, is that he didn't make excuses. You know, we don't know what the situation was with Bathsheba. She might have been, she might have been naked, flaunting herself, wanting David to see her. You know, David had a lot of stress from being the king of Israel. There's a lot of stress leading an army. And it wasn't once where David excused his sin. She made me do it. God, thank you for forgiving me, but you know, it was a stress of war. The devil didn't make us do it. The devil didn't make us do it, and the Lord wants honest repentance. You know, not only has there not been a revival without prayer, there's not been a revival without deep brokenness and repentance. And we pray for that in our country. We pray for that in our church. We pray for that in our town. But I want to start praying for that for me and praying for it in each of our lives. You know, what I long for in community, and I think I've told you before, one of the things that we do well here, that you do well, is community. We love each other. And it says in, in, uh, if you want to know what true community is, true fellowship, it's in chapter 1 of 1 John. But here's what I long for. I've got to really be careful here. First of all, the Lord cares about the small things. He does. He cares about He cares about health. He cares about finances. He cares about employment. He cares about our aches and pains. There's a story of a rebellious child regarding confession who, when forced to take a seat on a stool in the corner, told his mom, you can make me sit here, but I'm still standing up with my heart. And there's a real element that that is the way we operate. That, that there's a conviction of sin, but we're not willing to confess it. That we're standing up in our heart. Next component of how to pray is thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving. An attitude of thanksgiving to God. We need to have thanksgiving for who He is and for the benefits we enjoy because we belong to Him. What's easy to be thankful for? It's just easy. It's, blessings are easy to be thankful for. It's really easy for me to be thankful for my wife and my kids and for living in this great country and this, be a part of this great church and live in this great town. That's easy. But he says, in all things, be thankful. You want to know what the will of God is? Open to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. We're seeking the will of God. First thing, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And let's look at Philippians 4, 6 for a second. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know what the solution is for, th- for anxiety and fear? The solution is thanksgiving. Are you lacking peace? You're lacking thanksgiving. If you're fearful and anxious, it's because we're not thankful. 
If you're fearful and anxious, it's because we're not thankful. I love this quote. I don't know where it came from. It says, while vanity clouds my eyes and burdens my heart, gratitude clears my vision and lightens my load. Okay, so we just talked a minute ago about Thanksgiving in the when we're anxious or when we're fearful. How about about Thanksgiving when we're prideful? You know, there's certain things in my life where you know I'm, I'm kind of proud of. My kids are doing pretty well. I had a successful investment practice for a while. I've had some success in athletics. I'm proud of that. But you know what? Sometimes I forget, although I've had a stark reminder the last couple of years, Nancy and I have, with our collapse in our finances, is that at the end of the day, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights, that I've got nothing to do with anything good that comes. It is by the, the grace of God that my kids are walking with Him. It is by the grace of God that He allows me to be a part of this body. It is by the grace of God that I've had any success that I might have on my resume. And what thankfulness does is it clears my vision and it lightens my load to think that I had anything to do with anything. Okay? So thanksgiving not only helps with anxiety, but it helps with pride. Last aspect of prayer, of how to pray, is supplication. It's a big word. Supplication includes petition for our own needs and intercession for others. It's praying for our spouse, children, parents, neighbors, friends, our nation, those in authority. It's praying for salvation for souls, daily opportunity to introduce Christ to others. Prayer is not so much a means of manipulating the master plan, though, but of being shaped by the master's hand. I love this quote. And i got to tell you, <laughs> I am so far from understanding God's heart and prayer. It's not even funny. I am so far from understanding God's heart for prayer that it's not even funny. But I do know that He invites me to the throne of grace, that He says that He'll do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or can even imagine. I do know that I want to know what He's up to. I don't want Him to bless what I'm up to. So prayer is not so much a means of manipulating the Master's plan by you know, coaxing him to come along with my plans, as if he would anyways. But it's, but it's me being shaped by the Master's hand. And in supplication, I've looked at this ACTS acronym, A-C-T-S, a hundred times, and it's never dawned on me to look at the way we're going to look at it here today. And that There's an order of priority in supplication. There's an order in priority. And that is, first, that supplication is for God's glory. Second, it's for eternal welfare. And third, it's for temporal welfare. Those three things in supplication, let's look at each of those individually. To see God glorified, we beseech Him and we ask for things because we want to see Him glorified. John fourteen thirteen says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. He will do it when we ask in His will. Why? It says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The fact that we benefit from these prayers is a bonus. It's awesome. But that's not the reason that He answers prayers. He answers them because He wants to be glorified. In Isaiah 48, 11, He says, My glory I will not give to another. God will give us every good and perfect gift, but He's not going to share His glory for a second. It's His glory. And it's all about Him. It's not about us. Second priority in supplication is for eternal welfare for ourselves and others. There's kind of three steps underneath that. Please forgive me. 
our priority for supplication, God being glorified, next is eternal welfare. And that doesn't mean we're going to be receiving Social Security from now on forever. I didn't even notice that until now. One of the ways that we see Paul interceding for people, or the primary way, is he desires to see other Christians grow. Paul is concerned about the Christian's eternal welfare. He prayed for believers over and over again that they would know and grow in Christ in all spiritual wisdom. I looked at all of Paul's 37 prayers, and i got to tell you, not one prayer, not one prayer was for the health or temporal benefit for anybody. Now, i got to tell you, we're, we're going to get there, and God wants us to pray for temporal stuff. But the Apostle Paul, 37 times, prayed for nothing but eternal welfare for believers and for unbelievers. Which brings me to the second thing. A desire for boldness in sharing the gospel. Paul also, most of the time, he didn't pray for those that didn't know Jesus. What he did is he prayed for the Dan Hardys of the world, that he would be bold in his testimony when at McDonald's. You see, it would have been real easy for me to pray last night for these young men and women. God, would you save them? And I think I did pray that. But really, what my prayer should have been, and I think it might have been, so I'll give myself some slack, is God, give me the boldness, give me the strength to walk up to this table and be bold with the gospel. Because it says in God's Word, it says that we're, we're saved by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, last time I checked, nobody can be saved without knowing the truth. So Paul prays for believers that we bold in the gospel. And that is my prayer for this church. My prayer is, is that, that we would walk in the Spirit and that we'd be bold with the gospel. Because that's why we're left here on earth, is to honor and glorify the Lord and be stewards of the manifold grace of God. Next eternal welfare thing that Paul prayed for was for the salvation of others. He did pray for the salvation of others. And most of the time, he was praying for people or people groups that he had a relationship with. I don't know if it was people in the tent next door. I don't know if it was people at the market. But he prayed for the, he prayed for the nation of Israel because of those, those were his family. Next in the order of priority and supplication is temporal welfare. Folks, He cares for us. He cares about every intimate detail of our lives. He cares when we're unemployed. He cares when we're having financial struggles. He cares when there's been a a lousy upbringing. He cares for you, and He wants to answer your prayer when you cry out to Him, Abba, Father, the Daddy that I never had. James 4.3 says you ask but do not receive. James 4.8 says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You know, I haven't read much of Hannah. I don't know why. Oftentimes I stay away from Bible characters that are women because I can't relate. I can't relate. Well, the Lord brought me to Hannah this week. And Hannah's probably the top two or three people I want to meet in heaven. After Jesus and Epaphras. This lady was... Broken, She was being tormented by her husband's other wife for not being able to have kids. And she cried out to the Lord. She cried out to the Lord that I'm barren, would you give me kids? And God in His mercy met her. He cares about her needs. And He cares about our needs. But you know what? God wants to be more than a celestial pacifier. 
He doesn't want to just meet our needs and, and have us rub the bottle. He wants us as children to come to Him as needy children come to their Father. And I'm going to close here as I'm running late with a final encouragement from Charles Spurgeon. The reason for this encouragement is what I just laid out is a ton of rules. ton of, of disciplines that really will help our prayer life. But this final encouragement, let it ring true in your heart. Prayer is an art that only the Holy Spirit can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. Pray for prayer. Are you having a hard time praying? Pray for it. Speak to the Lord. God, you're just not near. I'm not feeling your nearness. God, I so want to understand your love for me. Where are you at, Lord? Cry out to Pray for your prayer. Pray until you can pray. Pray to be helped to pray. And do not give up praying because you cannot pray. It is when you think you cannot pray that you are most praying. Sometimes when you have no sort of comfort in your supplications, it is then that your heart, all broken and cast down, is really wrestling and truly prevailing with the Most High. And the encouragement is, is that God is there wanting to... I can promise every one of us that no matter where we're at in our walk, He wants a deeper relationship with us. He wants more of our life. He wants more of our surrender. He wants, more, he wants us to have more of His peace. February community groups, would you consider committing to community groups in February? If you're not in one, I can promise you you're going to be blessed. I don't know what the Lord is up to, but I really feel like He wants us to understand more what it looks like to walk closely with Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word, Your life-changing Word. God, I know that there are some in here, their hearts are going, Amen. I want more of that. I want to walk in a more intimate manner with my Savior, with the Creator of the universe. And God, I know there's others that are thinking that they're just fine. There's still that illusion of control. The good paying job. The faithful spouse. The kids that that look good. And Lord, I, even as I'm praying this, God, I just, I ask for your protection on this body. Lord, when I think of this uh, man, Matt Chandler, that was just clipping along with a 3,000-person church in his mid-30s and to get terminal brain cancer that rocked his world, then he was able to say that the illusion of control is gone. And God, I pray that you'd keep us from walking in fear, that we'd walk in joy and hope. But God, would you remind us daily, whatever it takes, remind us daily that we are not in control. That every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of lights. So God, as we worship you in song, would you just receive it? And Lord, would you spur us on to righteousness and holiness?